This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome in to episode 141 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Crew and Scott McLaughlin. And the Bruins defeated the Colorado Avalanche 4-0 last night in Denver. Now, if the Bruins played the Avalanche with the Avalanche not at full strength last week, um, last night, I guess, would have been more of a preseason, not even a preseason lineup for, for Colorado. Nonetheless, uh, if you're the Bruins, you can't control your schedule. You certainly can't control the health of your opponent. So... All they can focus on is the task at hand and, you know, definitely a sluggish first period for both teams was kind of boring hockey for the first 20. I think travel and maybe some altitude changes could have played a part in that. But um, from the second period on, guys, the Bruins, they really took care of business up and down the lineup. Yeah, they did. And that's, you know, exactly what you needed to do to your point. Like, so last week, the Avs, we know, didn't have... Nishushkin didn't have Landeskog, didn't have Bo Byram. Well, this week they also don't have Atari Lekkinen and Nathan McKinnon. Um, Lekkinen got hurt in that game in Boston last week, and McKinnon got hurt over the weekend and is going to miss about a month. Um, so it kind of stinks. These these are the only two games that the Bruins have that in this regular season against the defending cup champs, and with how well they're playing, you would have loved to have seen them, you know, really get to test themselves against the defending champs at full strength, but didn't get that. So instead you get a game against a a clearly weaker opponent and it just turns into a game where you're supposed to take care of business, um, much like Friday night's game in Arizona will be. And that's what the Bruins did. Uh, Like you said, started off a little bit slow, but then, you know, second period, they doubled up the avalanche and shots took a two nothing lead add on two more in the third. They only gave up five shots to the avalanche in the third period. Like there was no chance of a comeback there. They, you know, clamped down, added to their lead and, and come away with a comfortable four nothing victory. And I'm sure we're going to dive plenty into the third line, but they were, they were really the stars, two goals for Taylor hall, another for Trent Frederick. Um, Two of those goals were, were full line goals with, with everyone involved, all mm-hmm. three guys picking up, picking up points. Um, so another, another great game for them. And yeah, just a, you know, kind of a take care of business night. Yeah. That, that third line was really, really good. Um, that, that line once again, kind of added the spark. Um, Hall, like the first goal Hall had was just almost like he barely had to do anything. Cause Coyle made, uh, like forced a turnover and made this incredible move to just, you know, get around his defender and just slide it over for a tap in by Hall. Um, and like you mentioned, the Frederick goal was just um, that w- another really hardworking shift. It started with Hall got a chance on that. Then they get the face off and then they had to like fight for the puck at the face off and they were able to win that battle. And then um, 
set up Frederick for for that shot. But that line just looked really, really good. And, and it, it does, I mean, it has a lot to do with the size of that line and just the energy of that line, but also really, really helps that Trent Frederick is finally um, able to find his way to contribute and fit in there. Yeah, I mean, we can see game by game. We see Trent Frederick, like I said last episode, he's he's figuring out how to play the play this game at the NHL level, not just play it, but you know, kind of excel in it. Um, you know, there's so many things with his game that jumps off the page. Like his his skating game has improved so much. Uh, his skating game with the puck on his stick, more importantly, has also improved. Um, his decision making is decisive. He knows what to do without the puck on his stick. He's getting open. He's getting to areas. He's forechecking, and also he's trusting his release. He's trusting his shot and and you know his uh, his instincts out there. He just didn't do any of this in the, in the past. So he didn't even really show signs of this in the last couple of years. I got to be honest. Like going into this year, I expected nothing out of Trent Frederick. I thought he was a I thought he was a a finished project that just wasn't going to be in an an A or B in this league and. Uh, He's proved me wrong, and and I'll admit that, and uh, I'm glad to say it because uh, he's 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 playing like somebody who can pop in 20 goals for this team this year. Um, I guess I can pull it up briefly, but I, it's just uh, it's something I, I didn't expect at all. And um, and and who who would have thought? Yeah, so Frederick has six goals, six goals, five assists, 11 points. Is that updated? I don't know, but yeah, I think so. That sounds right. But yeah, I mean, this combination of Frederick Hall and Coyle is something, like I said, it wasn't on any of our bingo cards going into the year. And they're just, they're playing like the type of line that that um, you 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 need in, in the playoffs as a, as, a, as a cup contender. Every cup contender has that type of third line like Scott's alluded to in the past. And and also they're doing so and it's not, it's they're not taken away from Taylor Hall's offense. Like I said, it's almost... Uh, it's almost kind of freed him up because he's the guy on that line. And, you know, there's no, there's no arguing the, uh, the chemistry that they, that those three have right now. And it's interesting based on Coyle and Hall, not having that chemistry initially last year. And, and, and Hall said as much last night in a post game interview with Sophia, but um, what are the, what a development this has been. Yeah. And, and Hall is the second leading goal scorer on the team. Yeah, and, so he's right behind. He's right. Like, there's Pasternak with 18 and there's Hall with 11. And even even in total points too, Hall, it goes everybody on the first line and then Hall right, right below them um, with, I believe, 19 points or 20 points in, in the season. So um, he's having a great year. And part of that was, you know, on the second line, but he's just kept it going. Um, once he ended up on the third line and on the second power play unit, um, he's been able to contribute both both ways yeah if anything this move has really like allowed him to take his game to another level he just so in the last four games since frederick came back from um, a minor injury he missed two games hall has five goals and two assists in those four games uh and frederick has three goals and two assists and uh hall after the game last night said like basically you know playing with with coil and frederick allows him to have more time on the puck that you know with Krejci and possum at times 
you know, he said there's only one puck out there and, um, you know, you kind of get the sense that maybe he felt like he needed to, um, you know, get the puck to them and not hang on to it as much. But now he kind of knows like he's, he's the guy that everyone on that line wants to have the puck. And, you know, Frederick, he's been good away from the puck. He's been good just, you know, forechecking, freeing up the puck for, for his linemates to get. And then you have Hall and Coyle who can both hold on to it, protect it, make things happen. Uh, you see it on, on that Frederick goal where Coyle's just holding on, holding on. And then, you know, Hall gets into open space as an outlet for him and Coyle pokes the puck over to him. Um, this line, they're not like, they're not just producing at a rate that's good for a third line. Like they're producing like one of the best lines in the league. I had this, um, in my column uh, this morning, but since they've, they've been together, they're av- they've outscored opponents six to one when they've been on the ice, outshot them 26 to 11, 68.8% expected goals. They're scoring 8.89 goals per 60 minutes, which is the best for any line in the NHL that's played at least 30 minutes together. Like it's, it's crazy what they're doing. Um, and, you know, we've talked about the top two lines, you know, being good, but maybe you want to see a little bit more five and five offense. And it's like, I still think that that's going to come. I think, you know, we've seen some signs in recent games, but until then you have a third line that's producing like a first line. So you're not, you know, like this is what they haven't had for, for years, at least since 2019 where, okay. If the, you know, one or two of your top lines are a little quieter, not necessarily playing poorly, but just a little quieter. Do you have a third line that can kind of pick up some of the slack? And right now, Hall, Coyle, and Frederick, they're doing more than just picking up the slack. Like they're, they're driving the offense right now. And it's, um, you know, that won't continue all season, but I think as long as they're together, I think they will be at the very least a very good third line. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's an absolute nightmare of a of a matchup for opponents. Like, and, and you can see you can see Hall and Coyle. Like, I mean, Coyle's had a lot of assignments against other teams' third lines and third D pairs, I guess, over the last few years. But um, you can just see like if Taylor Hall catches a defenseman flat footed, you know, he's he's taking advantage of it down on the left wing side. And also, like, you know, I just think that when it comes to playing with Coyle and Frederick, like you've kind of mentioned guys, like they play a more meat and potatoes, simple style of play. And that's not to say that there's no skill involved there. There is, but again, sometimes less is more. And when you think of Taylor Hall's game, he's, he's a, he's a straight line player. Like he, he, he's North South, you know, he, he, he doesn't often cut across the ice. And honestly, I don't really want him to because sometimes that's when you can get your head taken off. But, um, you know, Pasternak and, and Krejci, they're, you know, obviously Pasternak is a, he's an, you know, an all world player, but I wouldn't call their games necessarily, especially together. I wouldn't call their games simple. Um, it's very creative and it could be hit or miss, but I just think, yeah, I just think it, it's benefiting Hall to kind of play a simpler style of play. And as, as mentioned earlier, just kind of, be the guy and you know you you combine that with with everything that charlie coyle is bringing to the table this year and his skill set and, and trent frederick's um 
development and in growing confidence. It's uh, yeah, it's not. It's you're right, Scott. They're not playing like a third line. Uh, I think the best way for the Bruins to look at these lines is don't label your line, because uh, if you, I mean, if you're, because not one line is loaded, um, with three guys, right? Like the you got you got Bergeron and Martian together and DeBrus. Now DeBrus is a good little player, but nobody would mistake him for you know the level of a Martian and Bergeron. You have you have Krejci and Pasternak and and Zaka. Um, again. You have Krejci and Pasternak and Zaka is kind of you know the the odd man out as far as the 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 name recognition, and then Coyle and Hall on the third line and Frederick. So it's just like the lines are just there's a great balance to these lines right now. And 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 also guys, if you notice, Jim Montgomery has gone he he he's changed up these lines a lot this year, especially in game. And what I'm noticing is that I think it's by design because. Every single game I noticed, the Bruins at one point or another, they switch things up based on situation of the game or how the team is playing. And because everybody's gotten a chance to play with each other now, he can they can do that, you know, at, at the snap of a finger, and and nobody's missing a beat. Like if if, if Hall has to go up with Krejci and Pashnak for a shift, no issue. If Zaka has to go with Bergeron and Martian, no issue. If DeBrusque has, it just and I, and I think that's really good to have. Um, that's, you know, over the course of a season and in the playoffs, like everybody's comfortable with each other and you have your set lines going into a game and what what you want to accomplish. But it's I think that's a really, really unique thing that the Bruins have. And, and you can only really do that if you have the depth to do it. Yeah. And, and you're able to like he's been able to try it out. We mentioned it's been a luxury for the team on a win streak to be able to just kind of like try out. But you're right. If you need to change something during the game, like against Vegas, he needed to go back to the perfection line. And, you know, that if you got to do that, you got to move DeBrusque either onto the second or third line, and they did. Um, and it allows for just a different matchup depending on your opponent. So, yeah, it, it definitely, in the long run, the fact that they've worked things out at this point in the season is going to help. I have another, one last thought on the third line. Um, Charlie Coyle has always been a pass-first guy. So, like, when you put him with Taylor Hall – it's not surprising that, you know, Coyle has become such a great setup guy for Hall. Um, in, even in the past, there's been times where Coyle has been criticized for not shooting because he always is like he's being unselfish, but maybe making a pass when he should be shooting instead. So they found a way to make that like use that characteristic of Coyle and make it work where, you know, Hall might be the beneficiary of most of those passes but Coyle's perfectly happy playing that style of game yeah and um you know Hall's been a little bit criticized for that at times too you know passing a little too much passing up shots so it's it's I think they both have to you know kind of adjust their mindset a little bit I talked I actually talked to Coyle about this like last week um about you know the two of them sort of naturally having a pass first mindset and he was like yeah, it's more, you know, yes, like we have to be aware that we have to take shots when we get it, but it's also like if we're creating good enough opportunities through the work we're doing, then, you know, those those opportunities become obvious, right? Like the, the Bruins are clearly a team that's playing more for quality over quantity when it comes to shots this year. That's been a big a big part of Montgomery's approach. And I think when you're doing that, 
it becomes easier to know when to shoot. Whereas like last year or, you know, under Cassidy, when it was more, Hey, like there, there's no such thing as a bad shot. Like just get it to the net. You know, guys, I think felt like we kind of get caught in between sometimes where it was like, all right, well, I kind of feel like we could create something better, but that, that, you know, just shoot, just get rid of it is kind of drilled into your head. And now they have some freedom to try to get that better opportunity and, you know, not just settle for a shot from the, from the dot or something. Um, and look at some point, that's probably going to lead to some overpassing. Uh, you know, we saw that with Tomas Nosek in one of those games recently, like it, you'll see some of that where it's like, Oh, okay. Like that's a shot you shouldn't have passed up. So you'll have to live with some of that, but I think it also, they're working to get the best quality chance possible. Um, so I think, you know, kind of lends itself to an approach of like, they're going to know it when they see it. Like they're going to know when they've done the work to get the quality chance and not be caught in between of like, well, should I just shoot it now? Um, and that's also where Frederick now having more confidence in his shot factors in, which We've now seen him score two one-timer goals from the high slot in the last three games. And it's like, I feel like there's been very few times during his career where we've seen him have that kind of confidence in his shot. And I think he's always had a, a pretty solid shot. Like, you know, like he's not David Pasternak, but I think it's always been something that you kind of wish he would use more. And now if he has line mates telling him, like, we want you to use it, and he has a coach telling him, we want you to use it and they're doing the work to create good looks for him. Like, you know, now he sees a couple go in, it's his confidence is only going to keep going up and he's going to, you know, be more willing to take those shots when they're there. I also think, sorry, um, on Frederick, I think playing with two players as mature as Hall and Coyle all are also helps because I just feel like both of them are really good playmakers but they're also really intelligent hockey players and mature hockey players and I've always got this sense of Frederick that he almost is like he is just very like youthful and kind of like maybe ignorant to certain things um and that maybe playing with two guys like um that have been very encouraging to him like if you watch behind the B like you'll hear Coyle um and him having some conversations um and just I think it's just a, a a good place for him to be in terms of how, um, you know, they they communicate as a line as well. Yeah, there was another scene in the behind the B where he was on the bench with with Taylor Hall after uh, his goal against Colorado, or his second goal against Colorado last week, and uh, you know the one timer from the slot um, on like a two on one with Hall, and he he said to Hall he was like that's the nicest goal I've ever scored in the NHL. And you can kind of just see Hall laughing. He's like, he's like, what? He's like, or that, that's the coolest goal. Cause it, I mean, it was a nice goal, but you know, obviously Taylor Hall's uh, seen and done a lot, a lot in, in over his career for a little one timer, but you know, but, but you know, he was happy for, for Frederick. You could tell. And, and, you know, he was, he was happy to see Trent developing and, and gaining confidence and, and, you know, and, and being able to be a part of that. And uh, you know, that last part that Scott was mentioning, like it's, it's one thing to have, teammates and coaches telling you to shoot and this and that but uh until you see them go in that's when the real believability starts and you know 
now on that line, and this goes across all lines. Um, again, this is this is the great balance that the Bruins have struck with these combinations. Every single line now has a, has a player who's capable of scoring from the outside and not just in tight. Um, like you know, like look at the first line right now. Uh, how many how many goals have we seen Jake DeBrus score in his five six year Bruins career where you know he lets a shot go from from the top of the circles and score? Probably you probably counted on one hand, and they were all probably back in the day. And that's not to say Jake isn't play, like Jake's playing fine. I'm just saying most of DeBrusque's goals come from in tight. Same with Bergeron. Um, Marshan, obviously on that line, has the has the skill set to snap one off from outside the dots, and he's done that over the course of his career. So there's that long distance threat there. Second line, obviously David Passion can score from you know the the nosebleeds if he wants to. And then on the, on the third line, uh, Taylor Hall and Charlie Coyle, they don't. They don't like I said. They don't score many wrist shots or snapshots or slap shots from from distance. Um, a lot of their goals come from in tight. But now with Trent Frederick, he's starting to show that okay, he can be one of those longer range scorers now if he's put in the right position and gets his shot off. And and you're right, Scott. He he Trent does have a have a good shot. I remember when uh, when he first was kind of breaking in with the Bruins. I was like researching him and his time at Wisconsin. And there was a there was a YouTube video with him and his Wisconsin teammates. Um, you know, it was just a stupid, like, I think they played like a game of horse or pig or something that the, the school put out a video, but, uh, it was like, it was like a POV type of thing where like the camera was like right behind him on the ice. And like, you could see his release and he was just taking wrist shots and snapshots. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of power behind that shot, but we never saw that at this level. Cause one reason or another, and I remember commenting, commenting to you guys over the summer, I think we were kind of breaking down Frederick and, you know, talking about expectations for him or something and it was kind of just non-existent and that one of the reasons i was saying was like i just i never see him score a hockey goal you know similar to felino like last year like any goals frederick scored it was just kind of like you know a net mount scramble or off a shin pad um now obviously i knew nick felino had done it in the past it was just a matter of last year talking about him but but trent frederick uh he's no he's scoring hockey goals now and he's and he's looking good doing it so like i like we've talked about the bruins have struck in a, a phenomenal balance with these lines and each line can, can score in a multitude of ways and give teams different threats to look at. To tie that, to tie that thought about, you know, we, we brought this up maybe last week, but we said, you know, Craig Smith, just to tie it back to him, cause he used to be playing on that third line last year um, for a lot of the year. And he's kind of lost his spot um, to Frederick. And we were like, well, you know, Maybe there is still a spot for Smith. Maybe he ends up cracking the lineup if, if you know, Frederick's slumping or 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 what have you. But that doesn't look like it's happening, um, at least not right now. So, like, that that limits your options with Smith. And you can put him on the fourth line where he was playing last night. Um, but you also have, you know, Greer as an option there. So, at some point, it just still feels like Smith is the odd man out because not that Smith play, has – he didn't play terrible last night, but I still think Greer has a different upside and different skill set. So um, I feel like you kind of have redundancy at this point with Smith and Greer. I guess if you have the cap space for both of them, you don't have to move him. But it just feels like there's there's becoming less and less of a window for him to really grab a full-time spot. Yeah, I mean... Like there's going to be an injury at some point that's going to get him back into the lineup for 
five, ten, however many games straight. Um, you just know that's going to happen, which is why managing the cap as as well as they did and being able to hang on to to some of that depth um, and not have to trade it away is so critical because, you know, like, yeah, you do also have, you know, a, a Lauko, uh, a Mark McLaughlin, um, maybe, you know, a Johnny Beecher, like down in Providence. But Craig Smith is, you know, a proven NHLer. And even though he's having a down year, like, I think for the most part, recently he's done pretty well when he's gotten in. Um, when Frederick was out, when he missed those two games, Smith was the one playing with, with Coyle and Hall in that third line. And I, you know, I thought he played pretty well. I thought that line was having, six, you know, not quite the success they've had the last few games, um, you know, scoring multiple goals a night. But I thought they were playing pretty well, um, even with Smith there. So having that depth is great. And, you know, I think him versus Greer, like, Somerville come down to matchups. Obviously, when they want, uh, you know, a, a heavier forward in there, some physicality and, maybe someone who you know can drop the gloves they're going to go with Greer if you know maybe if they're thinking of it as a little bit more of a finesse game or they want you know someone who's a little more shoot first on that line then you can go with Smith but it's it's a great problem to have like you know not any team would kill to have Craig Smith as their 13th forward which is to your point Bridger like that's the role he's settled into for now and i'm sure he's not thrilled about it he wants to be playing every night and i'm sure when he he wants you know, to be higher than the fourth line when he is in there. But, hey, like, the, this is where he is. This is, you know, the team that he's on. And he's on a team that has a chance to win a Stanley Cup, something he hasn't done in his career. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that makes it easier for for these depth guys who aren't playing as much as they'd like. You know, when Anton Strahlman was around, obviously, you know, he's kind of in limbo right now still. But you know, not playing every night was a new thing for him as well, but he was, he said like, it, it is a little easier to, to deal with that when the team's winning and you're part of, you know, a team that you truly believe has a chance to win the cup. And so I think Smith can still look at that bigger picture and be like, okay, even though this isn't quite what I want on an every night basis, um, you know, the chance to win the cup is still something I want to do in my career. So he'll, you know, he'll stick it out. And like I said, there will be a stretch where he gets in because they're not going to go through the season completely healthy at forward from, from here on out. So he'll, he'll play more at some point and, you know, he'll get an opportunity to show that he deserves to stick even, even after that. And essentially like most teams in that, like, if you, if you think about it, like most teams would need to pull from their AHL affiliate, but the Bruins have this extra guy that they, that, they can trust that they don't even have to go down to Providence and pull someone that's, you know, lesser, not proven NHL guy into their lineup. So once again, they just seem to have this luxury of depth, um, which once again, when you have your first and second line centers tied up with, you know, just extremely team friendly deals, you have a lot more flexibility um, to do that kind of a thing. But that actually, there was also another point I want to make about a different, fourth liner and that's Tomas Nosek and his fight. Oh my God. Um, that was, that was something, well, you know, um, it, it's, <laughs> Hey, look, it's Christmas season. It's, it's the thought that counts. It is. It's the thought that counts. Now he wanted to protect his fellow countrymen, uh, Pasenak, but 
one that was a clean hit by Hunt. Either way, um, it was a clean hit. Pasta goes down kind of hard, yes, but he was fine. He got up fine. Um, didn't have any injury from it or anything. But it was funny because Nosik comes out of nowhere, slashes him, gets the extra two minutes for slashing, then gets the fighting <laughs> fighting penalty, and he threw like two swings and then like just completely knocked himself onto the ground <laughs> and he just you i don't know that must be his first fight i it looked like it had to have been his first no fight. well no he his had first one fight earlier was last week or we okay before. you're right you're right because somebody hit, have another one somebody somebody hit somebody hit passion at that time too right yeah, yeah. Who, and who, it, who was that against um was it philly no was it, was it philly i forget who it was it was in boston no, i'm i'm blanket vancouver maybe chicago yeah oh yeah because that yeah. was the game i wasn't at Where oh yeah yeah yeah. it was Greer it was. also dropped the gloves like sometime yeah. after that yeah, yeah that was the one game i wasn't at so it wasn't coming to my mind immediately but it also just kind of looked like no six first ever fight because of how how very bad it went yeah. um well the, you know. the last one looked like his first ever fight too so. so every fight looks like maybe maybe this year was the first year he's decided to mix it up i don't um, think he's thrown a punch in two fights i think he's had two I, fights yeah. i don't know i think he hasn't landed one he might have thrown him but he hasn't landed one he's, if he's throwing them i think he's under harry potter's cloak of invisibility because i'm not seeing him <laughs> He's just like windmilling yeah. and nothing's happening. But I'm like, I'm just glad it was okay because when he the way he went down at first, I thought like Hunt might have popped him like directly in the face and like not knocked him out, but like really possibly hurt him. Um, but then they show the replay and like I think Hunt more kind of grazed him and Nosek was just off balance. And, yes. Like losing his footing and down he goes. But and then the, then the ref comes right up to him and and's like, "Are you good? I could. Are you are you okay? Did you hurt yourself? Okay." Uh, he's like, like it looked like he was using right away. Like yeah, try. But it looked like he was like using Dryden Hunt's glove as a pillow because he like <laughs> landed right on it. Yeah, and it's just funny to me because first of all, him and Pasternak very rarely are on the ice together, so they were on the ice at some sort of a weird half change at that point in time and he just got really cranky about it and you know wanted to protect pasta i guess and it, in my mind i'm going huh those two aren't normally on the ice together at the same time i was like are we going with a different check line where you <laughs> where you throw uh zaka nosik pasta out there together that wouldn't be a great idea but <laughs> they just have so many check players on this team like that lauko too when lauko's up he's check as well so well, in zaboro but hopefully we don't in see him Zaboro. i'm done with zaboro check made on him <laughs> um yeah i think i think nosik was probably just watching a bunch of like luchi highlights before the game uh you know uh, i mean it was obviously the hit was clean as day nothing wrong with the hit that was that was how you draw it up um but you know when it comes to passion act like obviously if somebody puts him on his ass like the bruins feel like they got to respond because it's um passion act but i mean i get that but that <laughs> they that had, hit, they, that had hit, was... they had felino serve the other penalty and i'm just imagining the conversation in the penalty box with him and nosik like buddy just let let me handle that next time <laughs> like let let one of us handle it yeah well he definitely had <laughs> no sick to not have much conviction in his actions because you know he went up to him and then it was like well you your guy lays a clean hit you know you give him a little hack in the shin pads you you engage with them and then 
immediately you're like, oh, I just, I didn't want to do that. It's like, I, I, like, I guess I wasn't expecting a follow-up question. It's like that scene from The, from the Departed. Yeah. I was, I was trying to read, Bridges, when you mentioned uh, him and Felina on the box, because you could see Nosek, like, like the, you could see them talking. I was trying to read Nosek's lips, and I might be off, but, like, it almost looked like he was saying something like, like, that wasn't good, or, or I wasn't good, or something. And it's like, Felino kind of chuckled and gave him like a little yeah. stick tap to the shin pads, <laughs> you know, like, like don't worry about it, like good job, bud. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking when I saw it. I was like, I wonder if he's giving up, if he's asking for advice right now because he, he needed to, he needed some. Anyway, that was just that happened immediately, not immediately before, but like two minutes before the the poster not goal, or it was it it happened not that long um ahead of the poster. That's how the the period really started. That's how that the second period started with um that random fight and then um coming out and, and poster not scoring right after the penalty expired. So well look I mean no sick may have you know I don't think he's gonna be uh you know fighting anytime soon for real but you can make the argument that, you know, his actions still helped jumpstart the team because if nothing else, you know, Pasternak probably felt bad that he took a little beating for a clean hit against them and was like, all right, well, I'm going to go out there and score now. And, you know, obviously the game needed some sort of juice and it's not like that fight provided anything in the moment, but uh, I definitely think the Bruins, like, you, you know, you respect your team when you, when you stand up for somebody like that. Um, and yeah. And, and the game needed some emotion. It was, it was flat. Um, like, like we've talked about Colorado's going into a game, backs are really up against the wall when it comes to the personnel that they have. And, you know, it's one thing to try to beat Arizona with that roster, but to beat, you know, beat the Bruins, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a tall task. And I think up until that point, it was pretty slow and monotonous. And then from then on out, you know, slowly, but surely the guys became more engaged on both sides. And yeah, I mean, Pashnak scores the first goal of the game. Um, you know, I think it was, it must've been during a, during a line change or, or maybe, it was just an off shift because I think Taylor Hall set up. Actually, you know what? I think it was off the faceoff. So Taylor, it was it was a set line combination. They had Hall on that line for that shift, and uh, he set up Pashnak for a one timer in the slot. You see the Bruins do this play a lot. We're off the draw. They kind of do a little windmill and switch roles, and um, the passes in Pashnak skates. But then obviously, um, you know, about five six seconds later, Krejci finds Pashnak again, and it's one to nothing. And, um, which you by know, the way, that was a great, great effort by Krejci on that too, to like shield the puck, get it back and then find Pasanak with the backhand. Yeah, it was, it was a good play by him. Um, who I thought otherwise had a bit of a, a you know, a slow night, but you know, we talk about the third line being the stars of the show, but, and, and again, it, it's kind of the calling card for this Bruins team. It's like, everybody has their fingerprints over every win. And while the third line excelled tonight, it was, you know, it was their top guy. Uh, passion act that kind of got them going and got the ball rolling. And again, it just goes to show that it's a different guy at different points in every single game. That's, that's getting these Bruins going. Yeah. yeah and, and, and go ahead, Scott. I was going to say like, that was something like the situational mixing and matching that you talked about earlier, Brian, where, you know, they just got done killing a penalty. Obviously we know coils a big part of the penalty kill. So he's probably not ready for a shift right after, so you move Hall up to, to that second line, you know, no reason to have him sitting on the bench any longer. Bump him up and he gets a, a shift there and, and that line ends, ends up scoring. I I feel like in recent games, like whenever Montgomery switches Hall 
in for some, like uh, at the last second for like some sort of situation off a of face off that, you know, wasn't the original plan for the night. Like in the last game against Vegas, um, that's how they score the game tying goal is because they switch Hall onto a power play unit that he's not normally on, um, take the brusque off and, and he scores off the, you know, he scores on the power play and then they, they send him out there again, not in his normal spot. And, and it has worked in recent games to just get him involved. Um, even if it's not with the third line, the whole game, sometimes trying him up and it's paid off. It's paid off um, at least twice in two games. One other thing too, guys, that, that I, I really have learned to appreciate with, uh, with Jim Montgomery behind the bench. And, and it's not that Bruce didn't do this necessarily. I know Claude didn't do this entirely, but um you know, the Bruins, they have a great uh, philosophy of making sure that special teams doesn't disengage any one player on their team because they're not involved. And, like, you look at Charlie Coyle. So, yeah, Coyle's not on either of the power play units this year. But he is, like you guys mentioned, he's excelling and he's relied upon in penalty killing. And he's and he's leading the – and forgive me if one of you guys just said this, but if he's not leading the team in penalty killing minutes for forwards, he's right there. And I'm sure he's up he, there in the he league. Is. He's first. Okay. So, yeah. And, you know, you look up and down the lineup and it's like, okay, so on the power play, you have Lindholm out there and McAvoy out there um, on defense. Krejci, Bergeron, Martian, Felino, Hall, Zaka, um, Pashnak, if I didn't say him. These guys are all getting power play touches. And then on the penalty kill, Forbert and Carlo and Clifton, those guys are getting penalty kill minutes. And Nosek and Coyle and um, – you know, Bergeron and Martian too. My point is if you get into a situation where special teams is kind of disrupting the flow of five on five, it's not hurting the Bruins as much as other teams or maybe Bruins in the years past because everybody, nobody's sitting cold on the bench because if it's a penalty, certain guys are getting their touches. If it's a power play, certain guys are getting their touches. And then obviously you have a handful of guys that are kind of getting touches on both. Um, those are your top guys. But I think that's, that's something I've noticed this year too that I think has really helped the Bruins stay engaged all game long. Yes, Smith and or Greer are like that's the only spot where that I think that's happened quite a few times because yeah, Frederick ne- too. Neither one in- of them are on, on are on either um, special teams unit, and they're on the fourth line five on five. So it's like there have definitely been stretches where Smith or Greer goes you know five, six, seven minutes without a shift, not even because of a benching, but just because special teams throw things off. But um, but yeah, other than that, to your point, like yeah, everyone's everyone's staying in it. Frederick's yeah. gotten Frederick's gotten PK PK time as well. Yeah, Bridget. but yeah, yeah, but limited comparatively, and also doesn't get time on the power play. So, um, yeah, Frederick's like the extra guy you throw in there on the PK. Um, but but I do think Frederick tends to get like one of those first shifts right after yeah. either a power play or a penalty kill. Grizzly two, Grizzly two might be one of those guys that's kind yeah. of been. Uh, maybe he might get heat depending he on who's in the, get almost any time on the kill. It depends who's in the box, right? If like one of the Bruins defensemen is, but if, if, but if it's uh if it's a forward, then yeah, usually they're rolling out Carlo and Forbert, Lindholm and Clifton or McAvoy, one of those combinations, but yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's probably fine because like Grizzlick's, I think Grizzlick's at his best five on five. So, um, you know, that's obviously part of the reason why he, like his minutes are down. I'm going to, Yes, he's probably sixth among Bruins defensemen in ice time. Um, but 
Yeah, but you can you can roll him out there five on five, like right right after. You know, if it's after a penalty kill, you could throw him out there with McAvoy, or you know, after a after a power play, he could go out with like a Clifton or what you know, Clifton or Carlo or you know whoever's not, you know, someone else is not in the power play. So, um, well, just looking at last night's numbers, um, he had the fewest minutes. He had fifteen and a half minutes, and he had no time on either side of special teams, no power play or shorthanded time on ice. Grizzly. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of checks out, but like, but like Scott mentioned, he excels five on five and also, and look, it's not like you're going to get injured on the power play. Um, but it's possible you can get hurt blocking a shot on the penalty kill like Derek Forbert or so look for somebody who's dealt with injuries in the past, I think to not have wear and tear on Grizzly's body, I, I think is, uh, I think, I think it helps him. Um, so I have no issue with it. And, and also, like like we've, t- we've said, like from a skill perspective on the power play, I mean, McAvoy and Lindholm are clearly ahead of him in the depth chart there. And then on the penalty kill, Grizzly's size and, 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 and structure, um, not structure, his, uh, his size and frame isn't the ideal penalty killer either as a defenseman. So it's, it's just kind of, um, again, it's a result of having depth and high-end talent and he, yeah, has, and, and he has that, but I, I was I was right. Grizzly is sixth uh, among Bruins D and Ice time, but he's still at seventeen twenty a game. So it's not you know like they don't have any of those defensemen you see on some other teams that are getting like twelve, thirteen, fourteen minutes. Like well, maybe and Strawman game. Strawman was when he was in the lineup. Well, yeah, but when they're when they're healthy, when they have their top six, like. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's a good spot for Grizzly to be. Obviously, he could handle even a couple minutes more than that. But, you know, I think back to, like, I think it was early last season where out of the gates, like, Grizzly had a few, like, 22, 23-minute games. And Cassidy mm-hmm. was asked, like, you know, is that what you envisioned for him? And he was like, well, no, that's that's more than we want. But, like, situations have kind of dictated that to us because he didn't trust the, the rest of the defense core. Um, so just a much better situation overall where, you know, you can specifically with Grizzly manage his minutes a little bit, um, and, and hopefully keep him healthier. Any more thoughts about this game? We haven't talked about defense really all that much, um, against the Avs. Uh, Scott, if you have a thought on, or (laughs) yeah, well, that's where I was going to go. So if one of you guys have a thought on defense, that's, that's great. But, um, and we can do that, but I do think we should mention Linus Allmark uh, yeah. because, because it was a shutout. And look, guys, 15-1, and one, um, second shutout of the year, goals against average, 1.82, save percentage, 0.939, two shutouts. Um, holy smokes. Like, you know, you want to you want to date back uh, about a year and a half. And up. Oh, what was that, Scott? Oh, I'm just sorry. Never mind. That was Bridget. Uh, it's Melvin. <laughs> um, you know, I definitely was one of those individuals who was questioning, to say the least, the signing of Linus Allmark um, at the at the number that they signed him. When at the time, you have to remember the Bruins didn't have Hampus Lindholm on defense. They just, you know, Chara was gone and Krug had been gone and. You know, the Bruins' big signing for the defense was Forber and, you know, whatever. It, it, I just didn't think that – I thought Swayman could was ready, but – and he, Swayman's done nothing wrong since that time. But without rambling on, 
you know, and, and I've conceded a long time ago, and I apologize a long time ago, but has 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 Linus Olmark ever, ever vindicated the signing that Don Sweeney made to get him in free agency? I mean, he's been nothing short of spectacular. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a clear Vezina candidate. He still, we mentioned this, I think, the last pod, but still continues to lead the Triple Crown categories. Um, you mentioned the, was it 15 wins now? Yeah, 15 wins. Uh, 1.82 goals against average and 939 save percentage. First place in the NHL across the board. And, you know, obviously the Bruins have made that easier because after some early season struggles, they have turned into a very good defensive team as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I I think going, we all thought like it's going to be a split between him and Swayman again. And maybe at some point it still ends up as that, but for, you know, different reasons, whether Swayman's injury or a little bit of struggles early on, um, they've had to rely on Allmark and he's been more than up to the challenge. And it's, um, yeah, it's amazing. Like, you know, one, one year, basically you go from, uh, you know, is he really worth that? Did you need to sign him to that to it? It looks like a steal. any, any team would kill to have a, a goalie playing like this at $5 million. Yeah. And I had just had to look back because that was his second shutout of the season. For some reason, I thought it was his third or he, Apparently the Bruins, I thought that they had more shutouts this season than they have, but they've, they've won a lot of games big, but still, um, you know, allowed a goal in, in a lot of them. So Omar has both of the shutouts for the Bruins. Um, and if you had told me before the season that Omar was going to shut out the abs, I mean, obviously we wouldn't have understood the circumstances that they're in right now and, and the abs injury issues and, and what have you, but I would have been like, Oh, it sounds like if you're like, truth like true or false uh, I'd be like false probably false <laughs> um so he's you know he's been great um he hasn't shown signs of slowing down um which is kind of like the point where we're at it's like all right well he's pretty much good every time he plays so we're just kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop but it hasn't he stayed confident um and it's just it, it seems like he's gonna be a, that's the one thing about goaltending though like Sometimes all of a sudden you hit a spell and it's just like it you're you don't have it for whatever reason for a little bit and he hasn't hit that. Um will he, will that happen at some point during the season? Remains to be seen. Um goalies yeah. don't usually have a full perfect season where they look like this good the whole time, the whole way through. No, even Igor Shesterkin last year, I mean, had like a, an historically great season, but he had a stretch, I want to say like February, March, where he dropped off for about like a 10 game stretch and then picked it up again. Like it, it'll happen to your point. Like no goalie goes an entire season being great the entire time. Like he'll hit a three or four game stretch where he dips a little and maybe Swayman gets two straight starts or something during it. But um, the key is, you know, great goalies don't let those stretches drag on for, you know, a month, two months. Like they get it back on track after a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, like even like two would go through, through stretches like that because I would always, I felt like I, like I would always write something while it was happening of, you know, cause people would freak out and be like, Oh, like two, two guys choking. Like he's had like three bad games in a row or whatever. <laughs> and I would like go back to like his Vezina season and be like, 
look, here's like a five game stretch where he had a an eight eighty save percentage or something. Like it always happens with every goalie. So I don't I'm miss sure the two for callers. I know they were yeah. rabid. There was there was no talking sense into them, Scott. Well, whether they no, loved them, there was no, or whether they hated them, they were stuck. Yeah, well, you know when they're gonna come back if if the Bruins win the cup this year, they're they're gonna come back and be like, see, they just needed to get rid of Tuca, and now they win the cup. <laughs> Spencer from wherever is gonna call back. Uh, don't uh, you know what? I think we made a joke at the beginning of the year, or 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 maybe it was last year. Thank God we're not going to hear from those people anymore. And we have it. Um, before we move on, I, I did want to talk briefly and get you guys' opinions on what you've seen uh, from a structure standpoint with this Bruins team. I just want to – we don't talk about this really very often because it's kind of very minute details. But look, it's the little things when I watch the Bruins that they do that separates them from the majority of other teams. And I say majority because, you know – other, there are a few other teams that, that pay attention to, to these details, but the Bruins seem to do it really, really well. And that is, um, you know, sticks in the lanes of passes from their, from their opponents. And not only that, but like what you do before that, like if you notice there's a lot of deception to the Bruins game um, when the Bruins don't have the puck, whether it's their forwards or their defense um, specifically in the Bruins own end, the Bruins, they do a lot of stick movement. Um, and a lot of times it's like they're showing they're showing the opponent one lane, one passing lane, knowing that they're about to take it away from them when they when they commit to it. And it's a lot of small things, but it's it, it helps the Bruins, especially on the penalty kill. And if and, and when you notice the Bruins kind of collapsing in their own zone, just pay attention to this going forward because it's something that they do really well. And like I said, they'll show the, they'll show their opponents certain passing lanes, and and then they'll take it away. And and the other thing too is that the Bruins they're always on the right side of the puck and, and, you know, they're always making sure that they're, you know, they're checking properly. And, um, and it's, it's little things like that, that when you look at a team's roster, like you, you, you try to say, Oh, this team is so good because they have players X, Y, and Z. But a lot of times, you know, there are plenty of teams that have a ton of talent, but the, the fine details either aren't coached well enough or they're not, they're not, um, I guess instituted or implemented, um, properly and it's something that the Bruins do really really well and so I just want to see if you guys have picked up on that over the course of this 20 what five game start to their season yeah and even like beyond just d-zone coverage just how much more active they are um like for checking through the neutral zone and with, with active sticks and forcing turnovers there it's um you know I think John Gruden probably deserves some credit for that, taking over the defense, which, you know, they didn't really change the foundation. But to your point, like some of those small details, maybe, you know, maybe that's part of his influence, part Jim Montgomery. And, you know, it's it's a little odd to think of them like doing that more because it's like Patrice Bergeron's always done that. So, you know, it's like, why didn't everyone just try to copy Patrice Bergeron? Um obviously a lot easier said than done. Um, but yeah, they've, I think that's part of like the defensive growth we've seen is not, not just like getting better positionally and structurally, but being more active with their sticks and, and um, enforcing turnovers. And, and like you said, like almost baiting teams into them. Yeah. And it's like, it's just another one of those, like 
examples of doing the small things right or doing doing the like a little bit of extra than they did last year where you're seeing just all of it come together for them this year and it's yeah it's definitely something that the Bruins have done well as an organization the last you know 12 15 years they've always been they've always had a great defensive structure and they've always paid attention to the details, but it definitely seems that um, I, I, I'm I, noticing it with players, certain players this year that I didn't notice out of before. So like, like, like a Jake DeBrusque, for example, or, you know, whatever, who, whoever it be. So, yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say the other day, I forget what the context was, but Montgomery has in the past given credit to, to Gruden for some of the defensive questions that we ask him about, he'll, he'll, you know, give him a nod and say, Oh yeah, that's something that it like, I think it was in a intermission. He was saying that like Gruden was the one talking about like some of the adjustments they needed to make in order to turn things around. And one of those games that it looked like they might lose at home. And then all of a sudden they, they were able to come back and he was crediting Gruden with, you know, changing, you know, I guess just getting through to the team um, on defensively what they needed to be doing. So um, definitely somebody we don't talk about that often, but that has made an impact. For sure. Yeah. Every look, um, every, every button the Bruins seem to have pushed this off season with, with uh, new personnel decisions um, seems to have, have, have paid off uh, and uh, undeniably. So, um, so I think now is probably – Scott, do you have anything on that? Anything else? No, I'm good. Okay, so I think, um, you know, there was some there was some big news late last night into the early morning uh, in the Boston sports landscape, and I'm going to – it brought a thought to to Scott's, to Scott's mind uh, when, he was, when he was trying to count sheep last night. So I'm going to throw it to you, Scott, and uh, let you introduce what, what's, uh, what you've been thinking about the last 10, 12 hours. Well, yeah, obviously the big news is that uh, Xander Bogarts left the Red Sox and signed with the San Diego Padres. Um, and, you know, on our last episode, we were talking about about David Parsonak and the fact that he's still not signed to an extension. And it's it's just a reminder that, like, if, if you let one of your guys get to the open market, anything can happen. Because I think it seems that there was a good story in, uh, in the Globe written by um, Julian McWilliams that it seems like Haim Bloom was like legitimately caught off guard that the Padres uh, went to that number, 11 years, 280 million for a 30 year old shortstop. But it's like, yeah, but you let him get to the open market and that's what you risk. You risk one team just going above and beyond and, or be, being um, straight up stupid, <laughs> like giving you a, a stupid deal that doesn't make sense financially for really anyone, including the Padres. So, like, you risk someone coming in and just for whatever reason deciding this is what they want to do, and and there's no way to counter an offer like that. Yeah, well, exactly. That's and that's what happened. Like, if you open the door for other teams to be able to negotiate, someone can do that, and you can say like, well that's not reasonable or, you know, it, it would be dumb to go that many years or whatever, but that's, Hey, you had, you know, all the time in the world to negotiate uh, exclusively with the player yourself. Um, and look, obviously hockey's different because no one can swoop in with an 11 year deal. Like the, you know, Bruins can offer eight to Pasenak and no one else can offer more than seven. Um, there's also, you know, there's no $280 million deals in hockey. Like, 
very different sports, but it's like if the Bruins are sitting there thinking, well, 11 and a half, 12 million a year for Pasternak might be reasonable, but you know, we wouldn't really want to go more than that. Well, all it takes is one other team to swoop in free agency and say, you know what? We'll give them 13 and a half a year. We'll make them the, or, you know, maybe even more like we'll make them the highest paid forward in, in the league. It only takes one. So yeah. And it could be like a very non fiscally responsible team. That's just like, I don't know. They, they just, for whatever reason have cap space now and they're going to have to figure it out down the line. I, you just never know. Like they could come out of left field and that I, I'm, I had a very similar thought when I saw the, the news this morning which was first of all wow I guess I'm gonna have a bad day now and <laughs> second of all like this this is exactly what happens when you even even if it seems like they're close like it seems like the Bruins and Pasternak are close at least from what we hear but if you even even up until what I heard this morning which was even up until like this was finally like Xander made his final decision. He was like, still wanted to talk to the Red Sox and still wanted to be like, Hey, this is the offer guys. Like uh, you still interested. Even if he does want to stay in Boston, it's hard to turn down a deal that just like, doesn't make any sense. That's like, it's in favor of you so much that it almost doesn't make sense. Well, as it, as it pertains to the, the comparison between baseball and hockey, like Scott mentioned, the, the, biggest, the biggest difference between what the, what the Red Sox offered Bogarts and what, you know, the Padres and presumably two or three other teams in front of the Red Sox did was, you know, the difference was term. Um, AAV, the Red Sox are right there. And, you know, the term is something that the Bruins, like Scott mentioned, they have the advantage on. Um, but, you know, the sentiment that, you know, anything can happen in free agency is 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 very valid. Like, you know, um, yeah, uh, could uh, are there certain with the cap the way that it is, you know, uh, anybody trying to win a Stanley Cup in the next couple of years, probably because their roster is decent enough, they likely don't have, you know, um, the, the cap space really to to offer something stupid to Pashnak, like 13 million or something, but you never know. And, you know, there, there's, there's other reasons, other intangibles that certain teams will, will do this. Like say, look, look at the Arizona Coyotes, for example, right? A team that nobody is even thinking about with when it comes to David Pashnak, but you're talking about a team who might be trying to win, you know, win over the good graces of, of a fan base that has to watch him and albeit in a pretty cool environment. And I'm looking forward to it on a, uh, I mean, that is if Arizona stays in Arizona and they don't sell it somewhere else. Right. But like, you know, if you're the Coyotes, like you're, you're talking about a team that's playing in a college arena and they have a ton of cap space. They're, they're a basement dweller. You know, would they be willing to sign Pashnak at, at, at really high AAV um, from a marketing perspective to get a star and also banking on the, these digital ads that we have to endure every single goddamn And uh, you, you think pasta wants to play at a rink that's got, 5,000 fans. No, but I, no, but I, well, no, but I think that if they're, if they're building a brand new arena and they offer them the most amount of money and the cap goes up in a couple of years because of all these digital ads, no, I don't think it would happen. I'm just saying to Scott's point, anything can happen. And, and, you know, it's, it's, you just don't want it to get there. Now, unfortunately, like, like we talked about, the, it's not 
necessary for all we know it's not necessarily the Bruins that are going to take it that far like it the Bruins could offer him a lot um but you just and it could be it could be Pashnak's camp that, that that encourages him to take it to free agency so exactly and and that's that's the thing that you like the that's why the Bruins are probably trying their hardest and I think have been throughout the offseason to just put you know pen to paper and and let the ink dry and and actually have it um, figured out because there's another comparison between the two players as well, which is that they're the, they were, they're like the faces, right? So Bogarts is the, was intended to be like the long-term face of the Red Sox. Pasternak is one of the most likable players in the NHL and somebody that most people in Boston recognize, even if they're not everyday Bruins fans. Um, so you're talking about two guys that you want to build your team around that are also have a lot of value to other teams so it's it's just like you can see the comparisons and that's why it's unsettling <laughs> and that's why it just brings the thought to your mind yeah and it, it i think it highlights like at the very least you have to make like a truly competitive offer if you really want to keep the guy so that you don't have that regret because look maybe the red sox are lying and they really never intended to to keep Bogarts or, you know, sign him to a long-term deal. But like based on like all the reporting, their best offer was six years, 160 million. And it's like, now they have to live with wondering like, what if last spring training, they offered Bogarts eight years, 210, like would that have gone and done? And, and if they really are like devastated that they lost them, like they have to live with that regret knowing that, their best offer wasn't really competitive. So I guess, you know, to bring that to the Bruins, it's like, again, we don't know where they are now. We don't know what they've offered, but like if say the best offer they've made so far is eight years, 10 and a half million a year, which is a pretty solid offer. You know, I think would have been seen as a nice offer going into the year, but now with the season Pasternak's having, I think, I think pretty much everyone's on the same page that like, Pasternak's going to get at least 11. Like, that's a starting point. And it's probably going to be more than that if he keeps playing like this. So at some point, say, as you get to towards the trade deadline, if you're the Bruins and you really want to keep Pasternak, like, you're going to have to come in at uh, at least 11.5 million a year or maybe go to 12. And, like, yeah, that might be stretching it a little further than you are comfortable with. But if you don't do that, then you're going to risk what the Red Sox just went through, which is he goes to free agency someone offers more and he, and he decides to take it and you have to, and then you you're left with that regret of like, damn, like what if we had offered a little more, a little earlier? So, um, you know, we don't know all the details of what's going on between the Bruins and Pasternak. Maybe they have offered him, you know, eight by 11 and a half or 12 already. Um, but we haven't heard that reported. So, um, you know, I guess like the ultimate takeaway is just, if the Bruins really want to keep Pasternak at some point this season, probably by the trade deadline, like you're going to have to make real serious competitive offer that at least gets you, you know, very close to like what the number might end up being. Yeah. And like, I think personally, I think that if it went to free agency and, you know, somebody offered Pasternak, you know, a little bit higher of a higher AAV than the Bruins do, and then you cancel out the extra extra year the Bruins can offer and whatever that comes out to. I do think Pashnak would still probably stay in Boston, depending on what how much of a 
difference it is because I I don't think he would like if if the Bruins offered eleven and a half and then one team offered him twelve, but for a less year because they can only go to seven. Like I don't think Pashnak would necessarily go just because it was technically higher. Like I think there are intangibles that he would be like, all right, well. But your point, Scott, is that you don't want it to get to that point. Like you want the Bruins when they have exclusive negotiating rights to get it done, and um. And yeah, so you know we'll we'll see how it plays out. Now, did you guys happen to notice? And also, you know, I guess my closing thought based off of what I said last episode, like my gut is telling me he's going to stay here for all the reasons we talked about, um, you know, future of the leadership core and, you know, carrying the torch that was passed to him. Um, now, did you guys happen to notice in the last behind the bead, uh, the, uh, I forget, what, actually it was after the Bruins beat Tampa, it was Bergeron's 1000th point. Did you happen to notice the, the guys kind of, you know, in jest, but, maybe not so much in just kind of uh, getting a one more year chant going. And I don't know. It's, 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 there, there are certain things you don't necessarily, I would say joke about out of respect for like, you know, somebody's decision. And it's almost kind of like, it's maybe, maybe like they know Bergeron might not be necessarily done after this year. And it, they felt, they felt the green light to kind of joke about it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, I think like that's probably kind of a fair, assessment is like the team's so close that like yeah they they can and you know it's and he can bergeron's not going to be bergeron's not going to be caught off guard by like guys saying hey we want you to stay and not retire um and to to your point like i i don't think bergeron has told anyone that this is his last year and i don't i don't think he's even made that decision yet so no i don't um, think he's made a decision yet either just like this yeah previous offseason well, if he were to stay another year and 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 uh, somehow Pashnak finds it out, it, it would be another incentive because it's another year with with Bergeron, right? So, um, and that takes away one of the years that are in question as far as the future of the team and can they win? If you know Bergeron's coming back next year, if you're Pashnak, well, at least the first year of your next extension, uh, the team would still be uh, for sure uh, very competitive. Uh, I thought that was an interesting um, tidbit. You're right, Scott. I guess I guess the the big takeaway is that he definitely. One thing we know is that he definitely hasn't told his teammates that he's done, and that this is a uh, this is a farewell tour under 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 the radar farewell tour, um, which is uh, hey, it's, it's it's for all we knew the team the team was was um, leaving it out all on the ice every single night because they knew it was his last year for certain, and uh, no, they're just that's just who they are. They're working hard this year, <laughs> so it's not necessarily because it's Bergeron's last year. Did you guys have anything else before we? Uh, you guys aren't traveling to uh, Arizona State for the for the game, are you? Um, I, no. I wish, but no. How, how much are tickets to that? I didn't. Very didn't expensive. Even look. I would imagine they are because there's such a low quantity that you have yeah. to pay a lot to get there. Weird. Well, and they have a lot of seats. Not that they sold out seventeen thousand seats at, at uh, JoeBing.com Arena, wherever the hell they played before. But you know, you are you are missing potential gate of what. 14 or 13,000 seats or whatever it is, 12,000 seats. So they got to make up for it somehow. I mean, I think the students yeah. get a discount though. Like, and, and I'm sure you're going to have Bruins fans in Arizona, you know, battling for some of those tickets too. Like well, look, look at that crowd in Denver last night. There were a lot of Bruins fans there. And, what was know. that? What was that Marshawn quote? Cause Marshawn said something last year about like how the coyotes, like they have however many seats, but they still have to give away five. Uh, however, he's like, you're still going to give away 5,000 tickets to fill it or something. <laughs> like, 
Well, I, you know, last last night, Scott, to your point, like, look, are the are the Avalanche down some key guys? Yeah, but those tickets, you know, were purchased a long time ago, and you're talking about the defending Stanley Cup champions, and the entire lower bowl was was black and gold. And the Bruins have had a traveling fan base for you know forever, but especially when when you know when they're good, you know, I don't know how many I don't know how many Bruins fans are traveling back in like 2006, but um, my point is that's the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I guarantee you, if there's 5,000 seats at Arizona State, I guarantee you 4,000 of them are going to be Bruins fans. Uh, it's just you know, it's I, it, it'll look like it'll look like the alumni game at Warrior Arena on on, on Saturday. Um, so it should be, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, obviously when the news broke this summer, it was it's like from a from a quality perspective, you know, is it is it is it is it National League, you know, facilities. Um, not what these guys are accustomed to, but from a, and I, and, and I was, I was floored when I saw that it's three years that they're playing here for, it's not like a one year thing. Um, but I will say I was like, I was very much looking forward to this game because I, I think it's gonna be very cool to watch the Bruins in this type of setting. Um, very small college arena. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to the broadcast for sure. Okay. Also, the, I think the quote was, um, for, I just found the Marshawn tweet. It says the only way to get 5,000 fans at their games now is if they give 4,500 away for free. <laughs> That's, that was from January. He's not wrong. Or, or, <laughs> or whoever the away team is, just have their fans travel. Oh, God. Also, Friday night is, is a Nesson game, so we get to hear Jack Edwards, whatever he's going to have to say about it. Oh, I can't, I can't wait Try to hear Jack. Try not to get canceled, Jack. <laughs> I can't wait to hear Jack for the you know twenty seventh time this season just randomly, just just randomly yell the buns on fire, whatever the hell that is that he says. I don't even know what he's saying, but it's just like I don't know. This <laughs> is why I don't want to have a catchphrase for my broadcast. It's not, it's, 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 not no. even a, it's not even it's like a but he's been broadcasting the Bruins games for fifteen years, and I've never heard him say that until like last month, and he just he just can't stop saying it. Freaking um, always says can of corn and it drives me absolutely nuts. Oh, oh there's there's a lot Tumbling of muffin. Tumbling oh, yeah. muffin. There's a lot of jackisms. Things but, you'll uh, never hear me say on a broadcast. Coin coin that won't get tossed rolling home to you. <laughs> the, nope. the, the only the only thing that the only thing I like about Jack, it's like obviously he was talking a conversation last week for the maroon stuff. Um which oh by the way, more more came out on that. And um <laughs> so Pat Maroon did an interview with um Ryan Whitney and Paul Bissonnette on their on their uh, Spit and Chicklets podcast, and um, I guess so. So in Fluto Shinzawa's athletic article, uh, he reached out to Jack for comment, and and Jack basically didn't. Well, not basically. There was no apology to Pat Maroon. Basically, he just said like, you know, it's a long broadcast, and I got to fill the time with something. And then he's and then and then he said um and then he said uh. I did reach out to the to, to Tampa Bay for to talk to talk to Pat, and anyway, so on on the on the Spit and Chicklets Spit and Chicklets podcast, um, they asked him or Pat Maroon brought it up. He's like he's like yeah he's like he did reach out to Tampa, um, but my PR told me that basically he just said here's my cell phone and my and my email if Pat wants to reach out to me, <laughs> and it's like and and he, Maroon was like. Maroon was Maroon was like, well, why that? Why would, he's like, no, like you should call me. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out of my way to call Jack. So I don't know, like the, the whole the whole situation, like, look, look, 
I, I'm not, I'm not a cancel culture guy. Obviously, I, I definitely think Jack was a, uh, you know, I, I think, I think, I think he, it was just stupid because there was just no reason to go into that stuff. And, um, you know, the other thing Maroon said was like it wasn't even about me. I think he said this in his in a statement. He's like, it's not even about me. It's about like you know, people like that that might be home watching it that are out of shape. And Jack's just kind of whatever. Look, the whole situation. Have your own opinion on it, but the um. All I know is if I had said it, I'd probably be fired. Well, the, it's just if like, I said it about like a college hockey player, or because I do men's and women's. Like if it was like about a woman's player, that would I would be fired so fast. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you just there there are certain things you just don't want to touch. Like, there's just no yeah. reason to go there. It's right? so bizarre. No, like part of like when he was first doing it, part of me was like, I wonder if he has like some sort of relationship with Maroon or like maybe they talked earlier in the day because the like the Nesson guys like do visit with the other team from time to time, and um, you know there are certain players either through one connection or another that like they actually know pretty well. So I was like, you know, maybe it's like kind of like a you know, friendly, you know, like making fun of my friend type thing or someone I know kind of well, but clearly not. Like clearly Cameroon no. is just like, who is like, what is, what is he doing? Like, what, yeah. what the hell? No, he, he, they've never spoken before. He said that, um, he said that Stamkos came to him in the shower after the game. And, and I guess, I guess, I guess some of the lightning players saw it like during one of the intermissions because like, I think one of the people were back, tweeting it. People were huh? tweeting about yeah, people. Well, well, their their equipment. I think their equipment guys saw it, and they kind of tell told the team, but the, the the players didn't tell Maroon because they didn't want to like set him off during the game. But then after the game, Stamkos told them, and and whatever. I look. I just think it's funny that like <laughs> Jack doesn't even apologize, and then he just tells Tampa, "Yeah, look, it's a long broadcast, but here's my number. If Maroon wants to call me, it's like Jack. Wow, <laughs> like you're just so far off reality, but." I don't know. When it comes to Jack, it's just like all I tell myself is like when I watch the Bruins broadcast, it's just like Jack, can you please just call the game? Like just like just there's a time and a place to like have conversation. Just call the game in front of you. And I don't want to. I'm questioning going 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 here because I don't know if it's like you never know if there's like something going on behind the scenes. But his his diction and like his like his his pace of 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 talking this year has just been like really robotic and slow and like he's like like he he says everybody's name like it's 10 syllables even when he said the name already a million times in the broadcast and like he's not talk like us three are talking like this like normal like he talks with, with jack normally too but like i mean with brick but in the games lately it's just been like you know like an example would be pastor knack to Karechi, who moves it up to Zaka, it's like Pashnak moves it to Karechi to Zaka. Like, why are you talking like that? And I, I, I don't want to go here because maybe it could be something that like we don't know about. But I would ha- find it hard to believe that he'd be on. I don't know. So, look, Jack is a polarizing guy. Just call the game and and cut the BS, please, because you're one of a kind. But it's not necessarily always endearing. So. <laughs> It's a long season, is my point. So just please. I thought, like I thought, like the Vegas game, especially that third period as they're coming back. I thought Jack was good. Like it, it would you could tell he was kind of like raising, raising the level and like his you know, excitement level was, voice was like going up and and it was like I don't know maybe he just needs like more good games like more games close in the third period or something. Well, like, yeah, we all sound I good when the game's good. Yeah, like it's like maybe the maybe the key is like just 
you can't have like board jack i don't know yeah well i mean like he's definitely look he he he's you listen to other broadcasts around the league and there are so many play-by-play individuals who are just like really monotone and like there's just no energy and there's nothing it's just like 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 i saw i saw a highlight of somebody on twitter like said like the colorado avalanche broadcaster must be really mad because like they showed the bruins goals against colorado and boston and his his call was like you know whatever uh mcavoy to zaka to mcavoy to frederick score like you know it's like it's like it's there's just like nothing there it's very monotone and jack obviously when he's when he's engaged and when he's you know keeping it between the lines he has a ton of passion and a ton of energy and it's great despite you want to be my broadcast partner I I could try. Well, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not good at I I I don't know how it would be at play by play if you want to do the play by play, um, but I can certainly do color if you want. But <laughs> you know, just don't just no no Jackisms. But when Jack keeps it between the lines, he's really and then, good. And then Brian Brian says that, and then he'll come on and make some like pun about like the kitchen sink or the cupboard or something, <laughs> and then I'll roll my eyes at you and turn your mic off. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't I don't know how punny I would be on TV, but. Uh, in any event, um, probably spoke enough about Jack. I don't even know how that, that came up, but regard oh, because the Arizona. You, you. <laughs> well, no, no, it was you. You brought up the. No, Arizona. actually, I did. I, I brought up Jack in okay. Arizona. All right, so we'll blame we'll blame Scott. All right, um, if you guys have anything else, speak now or forever hold your peace. But uh, I think we're probably good to wrap this one up, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't touch on it, but Tage Thompson on the Sabres scored five goals last night. Oh my it was god, just insane. The, the 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 Sabres were up six nothing after the first period, almost seven nothing. It's like by the way, old, old friend Sean Corrali took four penalties in the first period. That 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 didn't help matters. No, it did not. That's that's I don't know how the hell you you let yourself go down six to nothing in the first period to anybody. I think you just chalked that one up as an L. You're well, like, all right, well, can we go home now? Yeah, well. Columbus has taken a lot of L's this year. That talk about yeah. a team that's just like there's nothing there. I mean, you bring in Goudreau and Line. I mean, Line was, you know, going, he was trading, trading uppercuts with Matthews for the first couple of years of their career. Um, and he's just fallen off a cliff. And and Johnny Goudreau is just kind of like, uh, I mean, obviously he's you know crazy talented, but you know, by himself, I don't know how effective he is in this league anymore. Or at least on Columbus, I don't know. But yeah, they're struggling. So they don't, they don't play defense. Like that's a team that like, you know, obviously they're a few years removed from it now, but like they miss having a leader like Nick Felino, like someone who will set the tone. Like that there's just, there's no leadership there that they don't play defense. It's, you know, Gaudreau and in line. It's like, those are guys who, who want to score and play offense, but like they're not setting any sort of tone or any sort of foundation. Just, just a mess. Like, I, I didn't have them making the playoffs, but they were one of those teams that, you know, we thought might potentially be able to like push. Um, you know, turns out it was the Devils the... instead of. <laughs> yeah, the the Devils and and the Red Wings are hanging around. Like they're they're a team that's kind of made that jump and closed that gap. Yeah. Um, and and the Islanders and it's, you know, maybe we can do this more on on another pod because we already run, run too long, but. It is exciting that we seem to have actual playoff races this year. Like I feel like last year by this point, we already know we already knew the eight teams that were gonna make it in the East. Yep. And this year, you know, there's at least like 10, 10 11 teams that are all kind of there. Well, even in the Atlantic, like 
you know, I think, uh, I think, you know, obviously Boston and Toronto will be there. Um, Tampa will be there at the end, but you know, that, that, that wild card spot, that fourth spot. Um, yeah. I mean, like you already mentioned it, but like Detroit's hanging around Montreal's hanging around Florida's like not that great. I mean, they're okay. Um, big drop off out in the Metro Washington. I think Washington has like what, 10 wins this year or something like that. Like they've had injuries, but yeah, they're, they're 12, 12 and four. They're four points behind the Islanders for four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So there will be a lot of, uh, a lot of playoff races. Um, so yeah, de- definitely, definitely topic of conversation going forward and throughout the year. We'll keep, we'll keep those in mind. And you know, there's some good scoring races too. Like, I don't know if anybody had, you know, Jason Robertson trading blows with McDavid all year. Um, I'm mean, obviously, you know, really good player, young player broke out on the scene last year uh, with like 70 something points, but uh, he's, he's quite the story too. So uh, a lot, a lot to keep. Uh, it's not very, it's not monotonous. It's not the same old, same old. Yeah. McDavid's still up there and yeah, there's some top teams, but uh, the parody is kind of showing this year. So it's uh, it's fun to follow. That said, uh, we're going to wrap this one up now and we're going to follow the, uh, we're going to follow the Bruins in Arizona on Friday and then uh, I think we'll be back on Sunday after the game against Vegas, the rematch against Vegas, which um, if, if Vegas is wearing their gold uniforms, that might be a pretty ugly uniform matchup. That's going to be not a sight for, for sore eyes. You got gold, gold jerseys, like li- literal gold jerseys. And then, you know, the Bruins have black and yellow, which it's not really a great contrast, but hopefully they go with their grays or something like that. So. Anyway, thank you all for listening. That was a quick fashion segment, Bridget. Uh, that was really quick. Got in and out. <laughs> that was like a, that was like a that was like a toll booth fashion segment. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for listening, and we will talk soon.